listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. What is it to make an immediate change or an immediate impact on something? And where do you start? Because I think of Pharmacy Podcast Network, goodness, oh, 14 years ago. It'll be 15 years in March of 2024. And we have been a part of so many different campaigns that have been led by pharmacists, the passion in their in their chests, in their guts, in, in their blood, that they're passionate about something. And I met was so eager to meet pharmacists who are driving change and can see things that they started two, five, 10 years ago. And there's finally something that comes out of it. There's an organization called Clinics for Life. And you can find information by going to clinics, uh, number four, L-I-F-E, clinicsforlife.com, founded by um, a international well-known publisher, um, Robert Turner. And it's all about um, driving and change uh, the frustration of people that are feel like healthcare systems and administrators are sitting idly um, by waiting for someone to help them in the realm of maternal patient care. And I was so proud to be a board of advisor of this organization to take media and to take blogging and social media and of course our podcast and bring more attention to um, this initiative in, in, in what Clinics for Life does. However, um, another board of advisor that I'm very proud of, proud of, and I've known, I've known uh, Sujin for um, probably two or three years now through LinkedIn, um, is the co-founder of Patients for Patient Safety uh, U.S. and a and a patient safety safety activist. And when I think of pharmacists, that is the number one reason to even be a pharmacist is is literally it's it's about patient safety. So, so Jen, this is way overdue, and I'm so happy and, and proud to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Todd. This is such a pleasure to be on a podcast that you're running, that I'm so proud of supporting your platform. Thank you. Absolutely. So tell our listeners a little bit about you if they're not linked in with you at uh, Sujin Jun. Um, I know you're a board certified geriatric pharmacist, which is really interesting because that's where I started in pharmacy was long term. Oh, interesting. Um, but tell us a little bit more about about what you do as a pharmacist. So I'm currently a population health pharmacist in value based primary care model. And I'm also a patient safety activist, the co-founder of Patients for Patient Safety U.S. We are a group of patient safety activists who've experienced medical harm, either directly or indirectly. For my case, it was my father, and this is how my pharmacy career started. I was an inexperienced, confused caregiver for my father, who was a foreigner uh, from South Korea. And at the time, I was a wedding videographer. I was very confused, lost in the midst of complexities of care as esophageal cancer patient that my father was um, and um, all the gaps he experienced due to language and culture barriers. And 
he was so distressed with the care he was getting. And we booked our flight to go to South Korea um, after two ER visits that was um, due to medication adverse event, which was from insulin. And um, one week before our flight, he passed away um, due to severe abdominal pain. Um, and that event changed my life. And um, I was just so eager for change in healthcare um, from what I experienced. And what was also interesting was that I, after I went to pharmacy school, that's when I was able to connect all the dots, why he passed away, what might have caused um, his death. Until then, no one, there was no one who was curious about why he died or how he died in healthcare. Um, because we our healthcare system does not have mechanism to see the entire care, care journey for patients unless patients or caregivers would speak up. So Patients for Patient Safety US was born out of that need um, for patients and caregivers to be able to speak up at policy level where we need more governance and guidance for patients and caregivers to get proper care in safe settings. So we are a very passionate group of people, not just because of our losses, but because we have hopes that things can change for the better and that we know our loved ones' lives mattered and this is probably what they would want to see. Yes, that, thank you for sharing that story with me. And when I'm listening to you, I'm hearing other pharmacists who have experienced personal loss and family members and friends that did not receive the type of um, checkup and double check and, and follow up in their care. And we have pharmacists that have told stories in pediatrics and specialty rare disease and HIV care and, um, you know, uh, people that were suffering with um, some blood disorder that wasn't tracked or wasn't found because maybe they didn't do the right test or whatever it is. But the advocacy is so important. But mm -hmm. my, my question to the listeners, my question to the nation um, even the world for that matter, is why do we have to be a PharmD? Why do I have to go to um, pharmacy school or medical school or become an RN or a nurse in order to have enough knowledge in order to navigate my family's health in a way that you can be much faster in finding the answers or the questions, what questions need to be asked to get the answers? And mm -hmm. patients are at a loss and on top of feeling lost in a system that is inundated with paperwork, bureaucracy, insurance, uh, claims being rejected just for a claim for it's part of their MO. It's part of the way that they operate. They reject the claim first just to reject it, just to see has nothing to do with care. 
And you and I were talking before we started recording about the nuances and the craziness of, of we know as a broken health system. But what do you like, what do you say to pharmacists that are listening right now who want to become those advocates, not only of their patients, but also of their family in order to make a better impact, kind of peel through um, the existing red tape that we all have to put up with? Yeah, so some people may be very familiar of the dangers and transitions of care. So transitions of care is especially important because that is the time when one entity hands over uh, the responsibilities to the other entity. And it depends, and it, it happens everywhere, even where we work in pharmacies, right? When we are dispensing medications to patients or caregivers, that's a transitions of care in a way. Um, so if we are not, let's say, if we're not counseling patients on, for example, for my father's case, insulin, um, then that much that we haven't talked about is lost in the communication. And patients and caregivers will definitely um, suffer because unless they have adequate resources, unless they have family members that can ask to, we, we are that part of the transition that we, our role is so important because of that. So I just want to emphasize how important our roles are. And I know, especially in retail settings, there may not be enough times to counsel patients. There may not be enough uh, resources to provide to patients, especially for patients with language barriers and cultural barriers. However, I, I think I think it is important to give a little bit of self-love to our profession, first of all. And um, for the family members that we are taking care of, especially in transitions of care, you need to be there to protect your family members, or you need to have someone else be there because it, it's not just a trust issue. It's the way our healthcare system is designed. We are in an industrialized healthcare. It's like a factory, right? If a patient goes from one place to another to get a care, and then that from that place to another to get a different type of care, right? So, it's a simple doctor's visit. You go to doctor's office, the doctor prescribes a medication to pharmacy, and the patient has to go to pharmacy to pick up the medication. And, you know, and let's say that that medication is picked up by a caregiver, then it goes to, you know, the patient afterwards. And so there's all these entities that's getting handed over the care that they need to provide. And but each point, there is some information that gets lost or that doesn't get communicated or um, that just gets miscommunicated. So the intersection of each care where transitions of care happens, it's 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 important, but also um, it can be very dangerous if there's no no one else other than the person who's getting 
the handed over um, responsibility without someone else double checking. Um, and this, this is especially true for patients. Let's say a patient is at a hospital getting discharged. No one else is there to take notes or to really listen to what's going on. I mean, you, you kind of put yourself in the patient's shoes. You're overwhelmed. You are going home. You have all these paperwork, all these medications being educated about. And you may also have some drugs in your system. Like, it's unfathomable how, how you can coordinate the care um, by yourself. And you have to figure out how to pay for the medications that are being prescribed. All these pieces that come into play, uh, it's overwhelming for patients. And if, if you can't, be there for the family member who's um, at the care, at the hands of the care that's, um, you know, being done. Um, you can hire health advocates, patient advocates. Um, they, and this is a growing field that's born out of needs. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think that's something that you need to be mindful, even as a person who is who knows inside out of a healthcare. And there's this like a guilt that a lot of people experience when their loved ones go through um, hardships of healthcare. When you are a healthcare professional, um, so I think in order to avoid that later on as a regret. Um, you need to kind of be aware of what resources are out there for you to use and be able to use it appropriately at, at the right times um, so that you can protect your family and loved ones. The extra layer of complexity that you shared is being experienced by millions of other people, and that is a language barrier or um, fear um, of that patient who doesn't have a voice, who doesn't have someone who understands their personality or their interpretation of treatment or their interpretation of a medication or misinformation that they're picking up on social media or something that uh, creates even more problems for the understanding for the for the patient and the caregiver and and therein lies how pharmacists can become that extra layer of advocacy mm -hmm. in any setting and yeah. the choke point for the masses is our chain pharmacies who just like you said factory I'll use that same analogy except they're fast food factory oriented where they want to churn out as many prescriptions as possible missing every opportunity to slow a system down to talk to people that have true questions and concerns about supplements that they're on foods that they're eating medications that they're on and how all of these things could create other issues for that patient who may be allergic to something or may have a condition that they should be not eating grapefruit or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And 
that is the that is the issue that we're all facing right now just in just in our nation alone not so much world i mean it's worldwide and um, right. definitely an issue but it's that how do we slow these processes and these factories down to get more quality pulled out of healthcare even slight percentage differences i'm not talking about a unrealistic expectation of having 20 minutes to 30 minutes with every single patient that's standing at the pharmacy and you have a long line and the phones are ringing and you're you're trying to pre- process you know 600 1000 2000 prescriptions a day i just want a 10% you know improvement of slowing things down to get more knowledge and and that comes back to safety because it's the Right. It's it's the prevention of someone having an adverse effect that puts them back into the emergency room, which is just going to balloon the cost over and over again. And if we were mm-hmm. to slow down a little bit, um, I think of your personal situation. If if someone could have slowed down and sat with you and went through meticulous issues that were impacting your father's health and become almost a a, a sleuth, a, an investigator a detective per se of what's happening and then it would have been caught earlier and not you know become something which which became extremely harmful so that is what what you're saying is could be 330 million Americans out there uh, one fifth of them um on medications if not if not more it's a serious it's a serious it's a serious issue. It's it's something that we have to figure out how do we how do we grapple with it? And it's not less pharmacists, by the way. It's actually, in my opinion, it's more pharmacists out there and accessible. But it's it's the balance between profit and care. And there's a there's a big there's a big blank space between those two words that we mm-hmm. have to we have to get some kind of common ground. Hey, I I think I spoke with um, some pharmacy students at my school at UIC last year when I was um, selected as a, a rising star um, pharmacist of uh, 2022. So I asked um, to ask every at every interaction in healthcare, ask two questions. Right, where where is health? And where is care in this interaction, right? Because that's the ultimate purpose and goal that we're trying to provide. And and if we are not able to answer appropriate answers for for those two questions, then we need to do something different. Something needs to change at that point. Um, So for example, you know, you, you brought up a, a very good point that if there was one person who took the time, just one single healthcare professional, it did not have to be a pharmacist, it did not have to be a doctor, it's just, just one person among all those professionals, right? Just one person who took the time to explain what is going on. Then you're you're so right. His outcome would have been different in my opinion as well and how do we give that time how do we give that time that's another question we have to ask keep asking 
how do we provide more time to patients? And we're trying to get more out of the system and the dollars, which compounds the time, squishes the time, and then there's not enough time to follow up and to continue to assure safety. And it really, it literally comes down to safety. And I think of the 90 day supplies of medications that are being sent out by mail order pharmacies, for example, mm-hmm. in a 90 day period of time, how many things could, could happen to a patient's life Uh, Their diet could change, they could move, they could fall, they could get hurt, they could be on something, they could get bee sting, something could happen to change that regimen of the medication that they're on or change the impact of that medication they're on. And if we don't have someone kind of doing a periodic check that should be on some kind of basis that is customized to someone's condition... Some conditions extremely serious, some conditions not so serious. And there's, we have so much technology, Sujin, that is AI driven and predictive modeling and all this stuff. There's got to be treatment plan abilities to tie into the personalization of a treatment plan that gives more attention to those that definitely need it, less attention to those that maybe not need it as much, but should still be allotted as part of the treatment. And just as important as the substances that are inside the medications, the time with that caregiver is just as important as that medication. Right. And um, I mean, I talked to a lot of seniors and it's scary because they're often living alone. There's no one else. And the kids are out of state. And there are many seniors who don't even have anyone anymore because people, the family members either have passed away or, you know, there's a lot of circumstances that see, there was, there are so many seniors living alone. And besides the loneliness, um, when when patients get these medications and as they age, they get more medications. Um, I just worry about how difficult this is. Um, As much as we strive this technology and um, solutions that's digitally oriented, if patients are not able to um, manage I, you know, health IT solutions by themselves, then what is the point of developing all these solutions and they're not able to use it um, after all? So the digital health literacy, I, I, I look at it as that's something that needs to be regularly assessed and it needs to be um, taught if, if needed. We have all these great, features like, you know, electronic medical record and, um, you know, um, there are many different apps that that can help um, patients on medication adherence and safety. But 
at the end of the day, these patients who could really use those solutions are not digital, digitally health literate. So that's another piece that I think I foresee as something that needs to be brought up as more discussions because um, as much as how much you're spending on digital health, I think the outcome that we want to see in um, senior care and aging population, there's a huge gap of either making it easy, very easy to use, or um, them, them being actually being able to use those solutions that are, that are being produced by digital health communities. Easy to use. Wow. I mean, it's think about our lifetime um, and, and where tech was. And there was, I, I remember, I mean, I don't want to sound old, but there was a time there was no <laughs> such thing as a, a, a remote in my house for a TV. When I, my, my first TV, I remember I would physically have to go touch the TV box and turn right. the station that we know. Yeah. People in my in my family or friends who had remotes, we thought they were we thought they were rich because they had a remote TVs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we have computers in our hands that are a thousand times more powerful than than what they were, you know, 20 years ago. And you're right, it's it's usability. I think of the individuals who are in their home who need to navigate eight, 10. 20 medications some of those medications they should probably be de-prescribed from because they've been on for too long right um and where's that service and where does that help come from we know that home care is in fact growing out of community pharmacy which is wonderful there are a lot mm -hmm. of our community pharmacies throughout the nation who are embedding home care agencies inside their organization in order right. to caregiver in the home but that's not accelerating fast enough to, to catch up with the population of baby boomers and facilities, assisted living centers and skilled nursing centers are not growing. They're, they're stagnant and indoor, um, you know, coming down and, and being able to have enough facilities for those people that need it. Um, and this is just one sector of healthcare that we're talking about. We're talking about our aging population and our seniors, you know, where you and I could could shift this podcast to pediatrics, we could shift it to specialty rare disease state, we could shift it to what happens after surgery. And it it all comes with the similar um, issues that we're facing as, as you as a provider and what you face in really delivering that care. And I think that there's a lot of pharmacists listening who are very frustrated and they they're um they're held captive sometimes to the systems that they're that they're working for they're providing for their own family and they're paying off their own student loans they have their own stresses and they may even have their own health care issue and they experience right. the same things that their patients are experiencing so it's um it's constant time to keep talking about it, but also keep thinking of how do we make it better? <laughs> right. So the policy level change is so necessary, in my opinion. When I was a student, I was uh, doing, 
you know, business plan competitions with my friends. And because um, I, I was so eager for change and I wanted a solution um, so fast. So I worked on a business plan that had pharmacists as um, care management, care manager in a way that would connect um, all the care team. Um, and with the patient, you are kind of, you know, managing the medication and the care with, uh, with other team members, like doctors and, um, you know, pharmacies and all, all the entities that patients would use. So that idea took me um, to different ways. And, and um, I went to a festival called South by Southwest when I was a student. And when that when I was sitting in the festival, I mean it's known for movie uh, music and um, and there was a small sector of healthcare at that time. This was ten years ago, and I was the only pharmacy, only person from pharmacy. And there was one other person who said he was working on a pharmacy project. He was the CTO of PillPack. Um, Elliot Cohen, who, um, who was attending there, and um, we connected. But I was the only person who was from pharmacy. And this was, an, you know, they were talking about care and innovation in healthcare. And that's when I realized it, that we need to be providers. We need to have the provider status in order to be in this room. Where are all the pharmacists? So at, from that time, I mean, I was also already supporting the provider status um, movement at the time that was started by Sandra Leo uh, at the time. And um, I, I realized it even more when I attended South by Southwest. Um, and now I know there's more awareness and movement um, around this but we still have long ways to go. I know there are states that have provider status for pharmacists, but um, most of them are pretty restricted. And I think maybe California is the, and California was you know, the first state to approve provider status for pharmacists. Um, and I think that that might be the, um, most advanced model that I can see as uh, as most helpful for our pharmac pharmacists, but other states have more restrictive um, provider status. So I think when we have um, more freedom to practice as provider, I think our landscape of healthcare can change dramatically because um, that piece is always kind of the the barrier for um, for advancement, I, I think, and 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 I know there are plenty of entrepreneurial pharmacists who are paving their own path, but having provider status will make the changes that we want to see more significant and faster, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yes. And giving them the ability to really take action instead of having to constantly go back for specific issues to a primary care physician, if it were medication based, especially knowing medication and medication interaction in ways that 
physicians aren't keeping up on. They just don't have the time. And it's, it's not a, it's not an either or it's an, and, you know, it's, it's and pharmacist and physicians, but it's giving more attention to people who desperately need the attention based on some of the very serious conditions that they're, that they're living with and they're trying to navigate. And um, so patients for patient safety, this network of people and organizations, you're aligned uh, with the World Health Organization, um, focused uh, healthcare safety in the United States specifically. What else can you tell us about um, the PFPS uh, US and how pharmacists listening may be able to get involved? So um, there are many patient safety organizations in our country. There are 30 some organizations, but there isn't any that oversees all of them. And there is an initiative called National Patient Safety Board that it has been modeled after National Transportation Board and um, National Transportation Safety Board. And um, there is a possibility that it'll be uh, it'll it'll come out as a bill. So um, you know, I, I look at pharmacists as I mean, I joined pharmacist, I changed my career to be a pharmacist instead of anything else, because I saw us, I mean, I saw pharmacists being a solution for what I experienced, um, you know, bridging between the gaps of care. And, um, and I think I still believe that. And we have so much capability to do that. I think a lot of us underutilize or underestimate our ability and um, you know capacity to help patients and caregivers. So uh, I want to see more pharmacists join our force. Um, you can check us out at pfpsus.com. I mean pfps.us. That's our website, and you can join um, as an organization as a partner or as individual to be um, one of our champions. And when you join us as um, a champion, you get to know what's what's cooking at the policy level. So for example, uh, one of our co-founders, Susan Sheridan was in presidential council member and they recently launched, uh, you know, uh, handed over the report to the president. So, um, and so things like that, like policy, whatever happens at policy level is not necessarily well known to the public. And, and it is, it is such an important um, aspect of healthcare though that we need more voices and forces to push the envelope and push the needle to the positive direction. And um, when it comes to voicing our voices at each state, and this is something that we cannot do alone. Every, cons- consti- you know, every constituent in each state matters um, for each Senate and each you know, congressmen um, in your state. So you can be the voice for your state, um, you know, let alone the at national level. 
Um, we recently had um, annual March on World Patient Safety Day, which was September 17th in Washington, D.C. And so we had a March in Washington, D.C. And next day we had a Hill Day, which was a meeting with your uh, the the staffs from staffs uh, of the um, the office of con Congress. So I was able to meet with the staff at um, at my state's congressman, and was able to discuss my story and what's what's available for them to support to protect patients and caregivers and improve healthcare and. I did not realize our congressman was so into healthcare until I looked further into what he was supporting. So I think that was also a lesson that I learned that, you know, he 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 was already doing a lot of things in healthcare and that can align with what I'm asking for. So the gap between what he was trying to do and what I was trying to do wasn't that big. So that was great um, lesson for me to learn. And, um, and um, the fact that I could possibly reach out to the office and speak to the staff and him um, was a great, um, great findings that I did not realize uh, before I, um, I participated in the Hill Day. And having... Congress and having state uh, representation that can help you develop meaningful change to policy and having that information extracted from providers, pharmacists, physicians, nurses that are giving that data to the policymakers, that is gold. I mean, that is so important. That's why I've supported people like Buddy Carter, um, Congress. Um, congressman down in georgia for so long as he, mm -hmm. he understands it from an actual provider's perspective and and can help really put together something that truly makes sense rather than just doing it for the sake of a lobbyist pushing some issue um, it's really done from a provider's perspective so that in of itself of being part of the pfps um, once again pfps.us it it gives a pharmacist a a voice to be part of a change that can make things um, more more meaningful, but also safer. And and this is what this organization is standing for is 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 medication and healthcare safety for for people that desperately need it and need the oversight and need the partnership from someone like a from a pharmacist listening. Yeah. Of course. And um, anyone who wants to know more about our organization and want to connect with me, um, feel free to reach out to me. I'm you know, pretty active on LinkedIn and other social media as well. So feel free to reach out. Well, that's how I found you was LinkedIn. So look up uh, Sujin uh, Jun, J-U-N, on LinkedIn. And um, you are always active there. So I like reading uh, some of your, your writings and, and the, the, the track that you're on and you're, you never stop. So it's always, always something's happening. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And what gives me the joy and um, 
I guess the force and behind what I'm doing is all the stories that I get to hear, all the all the people who come to me for help uh, because they have nowhere else to go. And um, and it, it was surprising to me when I launched my um, personal blog, I Am Cheese, um, that open to anyone who wants to submit their medical story or any any healthcare lesson that you, your story can teach. I I was open for submission, um, and I said in any language. So we, I have some volunteer editors um, for that publication, but I wanted to provide a space for anyone who wants to speak up. Because a lot of times, patients with language barriers, for example, the language barrier is a barrier mm -hmm. for speaking up. So, um, and when I launched that publication, there were so many healthcare professionals who reached out to me secretly, sharing their stories, <laughs> that they couldn't go anywhere to share their own stories. And these are perfectly educated healthcare professionals who are afraid to speak up. Um, so those stories matter to me. And, and I know there are so many stories that I, that, you know, we don't, we can't even count on. I, I mean, there are so many that's lost in the air with their lives um, that we have no way to know how these patients and caregivers died. Um, so although, I mean, it, it's not attached to any numbers necessarily, um, those stories that come to me and those people who come to me for to, to share their stories, um, their, their stories really matter to me, so. I'm going to put a link in our episode notes. So if you're listening and you'd like to read this, it's a medium, uh, medium.com forward slash I am cheese. Um, I'm going to put a link to this blog um, and, and get this to more people. Great. Thank you so much, Todd. Yes, of course. Well, we have to have you back. I have more to talk to you about. And we just are, are running out of time based on people's commutes, uh, walking to work, driving to work. Uh, doing something that they're listening to a podcast, but a shout out to our pharmacists and technicians. Um, everything that you're doing is vitally important for uh, public health and uh, the health of your patient. Um, Sujin, you have been um, a, a beacon of hope and someone that believes in this new gen um, healthcare that it can come about as long as we're helping each other and supporting each other in some way. And we want to continue to support you. So thank you so much for being part of this. Thank you very much for having me, Todd. And thank you always for your support for pharmacists and technicians. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. Once again, Sujin uh, Jun on LinkedIn. Link up with her. Dr. Jun, thank you. And we will um, hear from you soon. Hopefully won't be, we'll be able to have you back and we'll talk about um, the next phase. I'd like to actually talk more about clinics for life, actually. Yeah, of course. All right. Thank I you. I look forward to it. Yeah.